Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all out there. So um, this morning's reading is from Luke 1, verses 67 to 80. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Morning, church. How are you today? Uh, I really don't mind if you do come and put uh, baubles up while I'm preaching. Uh, I quite often um, lose my space and, and need a break to find it again and that will give me a, a good excuse uh, to just pause for a moment. Let's pop that there. Good, that'll stay. So for, uh, for many of us, Christmas time we start thinking about family. That also causes difficulty for, for some of us but we were, if we don't have children, we were children. And one of the things that I love about kids is that they know it all. <laughs> they know it all, don't they? And uh, you try to give them advice and they won't listen. And, and look, I, I feel even just saying this, already coming to your mind are probably experiences w- with your kids when they've refused to listen to you or your work colleagues, maybe a junior at work, and they've gone and done something and you've seen it fall in a heap. And um, <clears throat> if it's not a life and death situation, it can be really amusing, can't it? <laughs> you, en- you enjoy saying, seeing them learning the hard way and saying, I told you so, I told you so. Now that's, uh, if, if, if we're honest, um, we know that we've had that experience. Uh, we've, we've been that kid who knows better and uh, has pushed ahead and, and we've had to learn the hard way. But what I find interesting is quite often those things that we learn the hard way are the things that stay, stay with us. Um, 
you know, I, I still remember Janet's brother up one time, I'm cutting something with a Stanley knife and he's there, Paul, I'm, I'm just concerned you're going to cut yourself. And I'm there, nah, nah, I'm right, slit. <laughs> Janet, um, I don't cut that way anymore. You, you do learn things the hard way. What I do find, while, while I see that with young people, I do also find it a problem then with mature people uh, because it's harder to tell someone who's mature, maybe even older than yourself, but, but someone with experience and to suggest to them that maybe they should be doing something uh, another way. Um, and, and look, probably particularly for us males because, well, we like to be self-sufficient. We, we, we like to think we, we know things. And, uh, and so we, we, we don't want to ask. We certainly don't want to listen. And it's very hard for, for us to, to consider things. Uh, there's also a, another scenario where things aren't happening the way we think they should be. And rather than addressing it, we, we just tolerate it. And, and sometimes those things wear us down after a while and they can remain hidden and they can, they can make, make us quite, they can cause us pain and they can make us uh, bitter and, uh, and, and it's very hard to get under the skin and, and, and to address those things. And the reason I'm going down this track is this morning talking about this passage, uh, I want to go back a little bit before uh, this passage into what John preached on a, a couple of weeks ago and I, I kind of want to do a bit of a study of Zechariah and, and what was going on in Zechariah's life for him to then come out and sing this song. Uh, so we want to find out where, where Zechariah comes from uh, because you see in, in Zechariah's culture, um, well if Zechariah firstly he and Elizabeth had no children. In their culture, there was shame associated with being ab unable to have children. And, uh, and, and of course, when you've got something like that, you, you, you go looking for a reason. Uh, why aren't I able to have, why aren't we able to have children? Why are we being shamed? And quite often, the culture will be saying, well, you know, this is a bit like Job, isn't it? You know, there must be some sin, there must be something in their life that they're being punished for. And when we look at the little bit of, we're told about Zechariah and Elizabeth, there doesn't seem to be anything. Zechariah seems to be a, a pious and, and dutiful priest. And so if, if, if Zechariah's saying, no, it, it can't be that, it, I don't believe it's a sin, then there's only really one other alternative, and that is that God is withholding the gift of a child, uh, and he's, he's doing it for his purposes. And look, I, I want to say that I suspect uh, it was this that had been eating away at Zechariah for decades, and it finally spills out in verse 18. So let's just read that verse. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. It doesn't seem a terribly bad thing to say, but sometimes a question 
isn't a question. Sometimes there's a statement, an accusation tied up in there. And I want to kind of reword that a little bit. Um, Zachariah is saying, we have been waiting years to have a child and our prayers have been ignored. Now that we are old and all hope has evaporated, you say we will have a child. Well, look, I just don't trust you. Now, if you think I'm going a little bit too far, read how the angel responds to Zechariah. The, the angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time it's short it's sharp I'm God's messenger I bought you good news you don't believe it so you'll be silent you'll be silent now go back a little bit further and we'll see what the heart of the angel's message was <coughs> pardon me you will have a son, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on, in, go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now I'm going to ask you a question and I, I do actually want you to, to give me an answer. For whom was this good news? Us. Israel. Everyone. Was it good news for Zechariah? You'd think it'd be good news for Zechariah, wouldn't you? Be great news. But Zechariah seems to be blinded to this great news. In his mind, God should have been operating to fulfill his needs. If he had been given a child when he and Elizabeth first married, then he and Elizabeth would not have experienced any shame. And he would not have been suppressing this anger and distrust of God over many, many decades. In short, he would, have not, ha he would not have suffered. But the, you see, the angel doesn't engage with Zachariah's anger. Instead, the angel gave Zachariah the time he needed to reflect on his his attitude the angel gave him complete silence and and I say complete silence because when you read uh, in verse 62 um, of our passage it seems that uh, besides not being able to speak Zachariah was having some trouble hearing because uh, I should look at 62 here um, because they, they had to communicate to Zachariah that question about what to name. So, so Zachariah seemed to be having some trouble hearing. But what happens next is, is, is quite transforming and amazing. Because we read there, on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child uh, and they were going to name him after his father Zachariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. This is what I was trying to refer to. Then they made signs to the father to find out uh, what he would call him. Name the, sorry, what he, 
would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. So after that time of reflection, uh, we, look, we can guess 10 months. We know that the pregnancy usually goes for a nine-month term, and there was probably a little bit of time before that, and there's eight days afterwards. So, so we're going we're gonna to guess that uh, he'd, he'd been silent for, for 10 months. But in that time, Zacharias had time to, to reflect on things, and his will is now aligned with God's will. No longer does he serve God for looking for rewards. Serving God is his reward. No longer is his, his identity found in complying with the culture. It's found in complying with God. The new Zechariah defies the pressures of traditional custom and expectations and instead uses the name that the angel had given him. His name is John. You see, in silence, Zechariah experienced not only a change of mind, but he experienced a, a change of heart. And, uh, and now, moved by God's Spirit, our story becomes a musical. Uh, however, it's a musical with purpose. And I've really found it interesting getting into this song because this song gives us the what, the why and the how of God's plan for our salvation. The what, the why and the how. So they're the three things that I want to look at now. What is God's plan? God's plan is found there in verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. What God wants to do, he wants to regain possession of us. We did belong to him. We rejected God's ownership. He wants to get us back. That's the idea of, of, of redemption, quite simple. Second part is found in verse 71 and 74. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. So God wants to rescue us from our enemies. And it tells us there that our captors don't have our best interests at heart. Our captors hate us and we live in fear from, of them and, and it prevents us from being productive. God's plan is to save us from our enemies. There's one other thing God wants to do that, in his plan and we find that in verse 79. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. God wants to change our circumstances he wants to take us out of darkness and bring us into his light. He wants to bring us back from the destiny of death into life for eternity with him. And he wants to free us from our journey of pain and lead us to know and experience peace in him. So Zechariah now sees God's plan is to, to regain possession of his people, to rescue them from their enemies and to change their circumstances for the better. 
sounds great. But you know, Zechariah's audience also need to know the why of God's plan. Why would God do this? And again, it's there in, in Zechariah's song. The first one takes us back to verse 68 again. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. As we said, he, 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 he wants to get us back. Simply, we belong to God. We don't belong to anyone else. And I find it really fascinating this time of year observing nature. Now, I, I don't know if anyone has any uh, birds with chicks at the moment in their backyard, uh, but try approaching a plover chick, okay? The parents get defensive. We get bombed by magpies. Um, God has, in nature, has instilled this, this defense of um, that, that parents have for their young. And it is part of God's nature too. Uh, he is our creator and he fights for us. Okay, it's the second why in 70, verse 72 there. To show mercy to our ancestors. Now, God's very nature is mercy. He prefers to show compassion and, and forgiveness to those that are deserving of punishment. You know, when I look at Zechariah being there for, for uh, 10 months in silence, I wonder how many months he went through before it finally gelled on him that this wasn't a punishment, that this was mercy. I hope he didn't take very long. But then he needed that time of thinking maybe this is punishment, but finally realising, no, God was showing him mercy and compassion by giving him this time to, to, to think things through. So God shows mercy. And the final one I had there is to rem remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. So God keeps his word. He'd made a covenant with Abraham and he'd restated that covenant many times. He'd restated it with Isaac, with Jacob and with the people of Israel through Moses. And uh, I, I want to look at just one instance where the covenant's mentioned in Exodus 19 verse 5. And this is what it says there. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Also, the, the whole earth is mine. And the thing that I, I grab out of that is that a covenant is a two-way agreement. It just doesn't always go one way. And this is where the covenant has repeatedly broken down. Uh, be it with all humanity, uh, with just the nation of Israel, or with, with one representative person, such as with King David, it just seems that people are incapable of keeping their side of the covenant for any extended period of time. And so this is a bit of a glitch in the, the plan. If God's plan is to redeem, rescue and change our circumstances based on faithful covenant, then we desperately need a covenant representative who can fulfil our side of of the covenant obligations and in Zechariah's song 
he now gives us the how of God's plan. How God's going to do this. 69 there it says, verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. I find it amazing when I, I, I read scripture because from the time of Adam and Eve there had been a promise of a human child that would defeat the enemy and God's promise to King David identified that it was going to be one of his descendants who would also be a king and uh, in scripture this this looked for descendant is called uh, the Messiah uh, in Hebrew or, or in Greek, the, the Christ. And, and both mean the anointed one. And that refers to God's method of, of choosing a, a king uh, is first through the anointing with oil. The prophecy that David received in 2 Samuel 7 is that the kingdom of this king will never end, nor will his love ever depart from him. And it, so it sounds so hopeful. But you've got to ask the question, how can another human perfectly keep the covenant where all others had failed? How does the Christ Messiah overcome the glitch? And Zechariah, again, he tells us in this passage. And I want to jump down to verse 78 there. The rising sun will come to us from heaven. The rising sun will come from us to heaven. The rising sun alludes to the star from, a, from an ancient prophecy about this promised descendant. Um, and uh, it's in Numbers 24, 17. And uh, this is uh, the prophet Balaam uh, speaking. And he says, I see him. But not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. What Zechariah is adding to that prophecy of Balaam is that he will come to us from heaven. You see, the Messiah is going to have this dual nature of being human and divine. And it is that what, which enables Jesus to be that faithful covenant partner where all other just humans had failed. Jesus is the solution to that glitch. Zechariah, he's granted one further insight uh, from his months of contemplation. And I just want to, to move into that now. In verses 71 and, uh, and 74 there, it, it reveals one of the key themes of this song, salvation from our enemies. Uh, now, Zechariah's audience, they would have been thinking of their past history, how God had rescued them from Egypt, firstly. They may have even been thought, thinking about how God brought them out of Babylon and brought them back. But their current enemy at this time in history is Rome. The Roman occupation of their land. To them, Rome is the enemy. But these enemies are only for 
a certain time and place. Had Rome been removed right away, Israel would still have a problem. We would still have a problem. And Zechariah identifies in this passage that the real enemy uh, that's ever present to every single person. And we just read on there in verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. See, get rid of Rome. We're still captive to sin. Everybody is captive to sin. And sin is reliance on ourselves and rejection of God. It is that that keeps us from God. In many respects, we are our own enemies because we have chosen that path. Zechariah prophesies that his son John will be the one to let people know the truth and point them to the one who can forgive their sins, Jesus. It's quite amazing when you consider that John having a baptism and expecting the Jewish people to be baptised, it was something Jews didn't do. They didn't need it. They They were God's people. It was only people, Gentiles, who wanted to become part of God's people that needed to go through baptism. But no, the enemy is within. The enemies, even in the Jews, they need to be forgiven of their sins. And, but it isn't just good news for Israel, it's good news for everyone. Zechariah had come to the realisation that he had been his own enemy all this time. And in that realisation, he found God was there waiting to forgive him and, and waiting to, to free him. Now, the invitation is also there for us. I, I find it amazing in Zechariah's story that... that um, he was a man who, as I said, was pious. He'd been faithfully serving God. And it was just that one conversation with the angel that triggered something in this godly man and revealed that there was something lying underneath that needed to be dealt with. I find in this story that, uh, that we're given a choice if even this morning talking about this, it's, 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 it's raised in you something that you think, well, I've, I haven't dealt with this. It's, it, it is still eating away with me. Now might be the time to, to have a chat with God about it. Uh, we've got the choice to act now or we've got the, the choice to, to wait and learn the hard way. The invitation's here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we belong to you we thank you for jesus we thank you that you have redeemed us we thank you lord that you have saved us from our enemies and we thank you lord for that that better life that we enjoy even now but even more so in eternity with you lord we pray this time of year that um you'll give us good conversations spiritual conversations father where we can let those that we know and those we love lord uh in on the good news about jesus and and a life with you we just ask that in jesus name amen